Please stand with me as we pray. Our sweet and our holy God, we give you thanks for this day and this opportunity to gather in this room. We thank you for a chance to pray and to sing, to hear one of your people, one of your children lead us the piano. We're grateful for the opportunity to give and to welcome friends and greet strangers. We thank you for those fleeting moments of silence. We're grateful for the stillness. Precious God, we thank you for the promise of your word that as we gather in your name that you are here among us. We're thankful for what happens in your presence. We are encouraged and we are corrected. We're loved by you. Thank you, God, for being who you are and thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for your word. Your word that is a light for our paths. We open it together as a family of faith. We open it in, in faith and in hope. And God, as we approach it together, we ask you humbly yet boldly to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you would make our hearts tender and fertile, that we would receive your word as a seed planted in good soil. God, we pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. We pray that you make our hands strong for service in this world, that our deeds would be as your very own. And Lord, we pray that a word of hope, life, grace would be found on our tongues. God, this is our prayer in the strong name of the Trinity, and we pray together this morning, saying together, amen and amen. Please, please be seated. All right, friendly survey to begin the sermon. How many of you either currently or in your past have owned a coffee cup with a Bible verse on it? Let's see your hands raised. All right, that's a good, all right. Anybody a t-shirt? Maybe back in the 80s you had a t-shirt with a Bible verse, bumper stickers. How many of you have a grandmother that when you got married or, or some great event in your life cross-stitched you something with the Bible verse? Let, let's, let's have an amen for the nanas out there, you know, hand waving for the nanas. Uh, there's certain Bible verses that are just sort of prone to being used in this way. They make it on the t-shirts. They make it on the bumper stickers. They're cross-stitched with great care. If you go down to Mardell's, there's whole, whole aisles of what I call J. Bezery, you know. Uh, you can go down there. You can buy all kind of things with Bible verses on it. You can buy breath mints with Bible verses on them. Uh, in case, you know, if you're af afraid of the, the secular impact of certs, you can, you can go buy testaments, you know. You, you can get them. They're right there. They have Bible verses all over them. Uh, we, we live in a world, we live in a culture, particularly here in Central Texas, where Bible verses just sort of fall off the trees, right? They're everywhere. And that's good. And, and that's great. But the problem with that uh, is that sometimes, sometimes, we are prone to misuse and mangle these coffee mug verses. They're, they're so loud and they're so bold and they're, they're everywhere that we can just sort of foul them up. This summer, 
uh, I'll spend some time as a church family talking about some of these coffee cup verses. Some of these verses that are just everywhere that are straight from the scriptures but are prone to being sort of misconstrued. Today's Bible verse is one of the kings of Bible verses that make it on coffee mugs, and that is Philippians 4, 13. You might even have to open your Bible, but I hope you will because there's some context around it that we'll look at later. So if you have your mug or your Bible, open, open with me to Philippians 4, 13. We'll hear again these very familiar words. You can chant along if you like. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's just say it together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I feel better already. You ready to go home? That was fantastic. All right, when it comes to this coffee mug verse, uh, there's a few ways that we can go about looking at it. And there, there's a number of interpretations, three, three of which are the strongest that I've heard in my life as a Christian, as a pastor. Uh, and the first one I would characterize as the Superman understanding of Philippians 4.13. Emphasis is, I can. When I was a really little boy, my grandmother, she had that great story, the little engine that could. And sometimes before bed, I, I, would, I, would, I would read along with her, the little engine that could. And you know the line, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. For some people, there is a superman understanding of Philippians 4.13, emphasizing I can. I can. It doesn't matter what it is, whatever the feat, nothing's too, too big, too challenging. With this verse, I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. With this verse of Scripture, I can stack greasy BBs. It's hard, but it's not impossible. And with Philippians 4.13 on my side, I can stack greasy BBs with the best of them. I can. I can. This verse often comes into play when you start to play. It's a favorite of the athletes. I play a little ball. I loved baseball. And you know, baseball players are prone to get a little distracted. When I was a little kid, I went to, to baseball camp in the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg. Hill Denson, Corky Palmer, great baseball coaches. And they would take us off and let us stay in the dorm. We thought we were big shots. We were coached by the big shots. It was a fundraising thing, you know. It's all right. I didn't know that at the time. It's cool. We were down there, and we thought we were tough, you know. And I remember one day we were sitting around drinking Gatorade with the big shots, and Hill Denson told us this great story about right after Duty Noble Field was built in Starkville, the first of the really great college facilities. He's, he's, he looked out, uh, and, the, and the left fielder, the left fielder uh, dirt, in, the, in the game between the pitches would lean over, and, and it looked like he was eating grass. He would, just, he would just lean over between the pitches, put something in his mouth, and chew Coach Denson thought that his player had lost his mind. He was concerned about this young man. It was about 104 degrees in Mississippi. You can lose your mind in the outfield on days like that. 
What happened was, uh, at Mississippi State, there was what's called a left-field lounge. It was basically a gigantic tailgate that, that ran from one, one post, out, outfield post, to the next. Oh, it's deep. You, most people out there couldn't even see the game. Most people out there didn't care. It was all about barbecue and beer. They were out there. When the, when the visiting team was in the outfield, they'd all raise their barbecue pits, and smoke would fill the outfield. <laughs> <laughs> When the bulldogs were out there, they would go down, smoke would dissipate. And so he came in and he said, son, come here. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, a couple of those guys out there gave me some shish kebabs, and I put them in the ground, and I've been eating shish kebabs between. <laughs> he said, they offered me a Budweiser, but I thought I'd better not. <laughs> Ah, baseball players are easily distracted. Uh, I, had a, I had a friend named Dirt. Isn't that a great name for a baseball player? His name was Dirt, and he was easily distracted. But he played second base, and between pitches, he'd take his hat off and stare down in the hat. Between every pitch, he'd take it off. It became a tick. You know, baseball players and poker players get ticks. He had a tick, and his was to pull his hat off and stare down in there. And the coach said to him one day, Dirt, come here. He said, Son, what are you doing? Let me see your hat. Across the bill of his cap, he had written, I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> he said, Coach, I'm real nervous. He said, I'm not nearly as good as the rest of these guys. And he goes, I just, I just want to catch the grounder. And I just want to stop the ball. I don't want to make a mess out here. Dirt just believed that if he had this verse on his side, him, even Dirt, Culpepper, could stop the ball. He had a Superman understanding of the verse. I can. I can. I think it's great to feel confidence, but was that what Paul, well, was that what he was about here? Probably not. There's a Superman understanding. Uh, there is the Stoic understanding. This is the second one I would highlight. Uh, and it's probably closer to the original intent and truth. Uh, it emphasizes, I can do all things. It means what, whatever comes my way, I can, I can face any challenge. Not I can, I can leap tall buildings, but if it rains on me, I can, I, can, I can bear that with dignity and with strength. I can do all things. The words of Invictus come to mind. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. Let's finish it. I am the captain of my soul. I am the captain. I am the master. I can do all things. There are people that read Philippians 4.13, and it's a sentence of stoic challenge. It's a call to bear up, to get hard, to get tough. In the face of life, don't let life get away from you. Hold the reins. Hold the wheel. 
Check the wind and adjust to it. Catch the arrows and pull them from your flesh and keep on going. Keep on going. Do not bow. Do not bend. Find steel for your spine. Stand up. Get up. Never, never, never quit. That indeed makes us strong. Makes us hard. But if that's the only way that we interpret this verse, there are things that are missing. In becoming strong in the face of an enemy, we may become the enemy in that process. We may become strong and hard when we should become humble and thoughtful. The book of Jeremiah is filled with examples of of real strength and then weakness that mimics strength. God's people are in absolute rebellion. God said to them, I call to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. Now, friends, let me tell you, that is a powerful picture of strength. To look at the creator God, to look at the covenant God, and say, I'm going to do it my way. That's strong. And that's wrong. I can do all things. Both the Superman and the Stoic understanding of this verse come up short. And thank God there's a third option. And that's the understanding that a strengthened Christian, a strengthened disciple gets. And that's what Paul had in mind. The context begins in the same chapter in verse 10 where he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God, my God, shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul writes to them to thank them for helping him 
for sending him a, a, an offering, a donation to help uh, with his life, to help with his ministry. And he said, and I'm grateful because this is an offering that's been given to God and it rises to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. This is a sacrifice that is pleasing and precious to God. But you know what? I didn't need it. He says, because in, in my relationship with God, I have learned, I have learned how to live in, in plenty and I've learned how to live in want and I've learned that God is the supplier in, in all of those things. I'm so grateful for what you have done and, and I appreciate it so very much, but I want you to understand that in the midst of it all, I have learned that God is sufficient. I have learned the absolute sufficiency of Christ. I have learned And now we can celebrate together because this God, he is the one that supplies all of our needs according to his riches and his glory. And to God be all praise and glory. You see, when Paul wrote that sentence, the emphasis was not I or can, but on Christ. Christ came first and and the I and the can was filled up with a deep-seated, settled conviction of the goodness and the grace of God. God strengthened Paul. He made him hard. In those jail cells and on those ships and on those beaches and in those marketplaces, among the poor and the oppressed, among the up and outs, among the intelligent and among the simple, God made him hard as he went through his life. But we read in the scriptures that as he increasingly became hard, he also became tender in heart and spirit. He learned, as he wrote in the very first chapter of Philippians, that we can count on the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's lived his life depending on the help of the Spirit of Jesus, and it was that supply that made him strong. It was that supply that made him tender. you got to get tougher. And you must get more tender. And the only way that happens in the same human flesh is when our bloody head bows in the presence of the one that carried the cross and came out victorious. It's in sharing in his sufferings. It's in being conformed to his resurrection. It's being strengthened by Christ to do all the things he calls us to do. Many of you have been in my office. You know, everywhere in the office, there's little rhinos. They're all over the place. I've I've collected so many. Friends give them to me. Uh, Foes give them to me. No, (laughs) have any. How many of those? Uh, just kidding. People give them to me. And so I have so many now. This is a menagerie of rhinos that it, it's so obvious. People come and say, what's the rhino about? Years ago, pastor, older pastor said, son, if, if you're going to really thrive in ministry, you've got to be tough and you've got to be tender. You've got to be like a rhino. You've got to have a thick skin and a big, big heart. David Garland walked in the office one time. He said, rhinos are also blind and kind of dumb. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, that helps too, you know. <laughs> that helps too. 
but you got to be tender and you got to be tough. And, and, and I believe with all my heart that there's only one way to that. It's to be strengthened by the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's available. I'm glad it's on our coffee cups. Far better for it to be in our hearts. Working inside of us all the way out. As we live and move. Experience life with God and others. God, we thank you so much for a chance to gather in this place. And we thank you for the call to regularly come to your word and be nourished by it. God, we are people that need your strengthening touch. Keep us tender for your glory and your namesake. Amen and amen. Friends, I invite you to stand. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment. If you have made commitments in the, in the privacy of your heart and home and you'd like to make them feel God would have you make them today publicly, we invite you to come for his glory uh, and for your good.